Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This on-air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's guest is attorney and partner Rich Van Nostren. Rich concentrates on civil trial work with an emphasis on business and employment litigation. He has served as president of both the Massachusetts and New England Bar Associations, as well as having been appointed by Governor Deval Patrick to the Commonwealth's Judicial Nominating Commission. You can learn how Rich and his colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you with your business and personal legal needs by visiting MyrickO'Connell.com. Today, uh, Rich, who is also chair of Myrick O'Connell's Diversity and Inclusion Committee, will discuss with us the firm's diversity and inclusion missions and goals, its efforts on these important issues, and roadmap to make its diversity and inclusion journey successful. Rich Van Nostrand, I want to thank you so much for joining us on On Air with Myrick O'Connell this morning. You're very welcome, Howard. Uh, thank you for having me. Why is diversity and inclusion in a law firm, let's just start this way, so important? It's certainly uh, no more important than it is in the world generally, but uh, in terms of the way we view it, uh, we think it's very important for two major reasons and one uh, very subtle one. The first is uh, that we strive to reflect the communities that we serve, uh, whether it's in our main office in Worcester, uh, our satellite office in Westboro, or satellite office in Boston. We think it's important to be reflective of those communities. Second, diversity, frankly, makes us all smarter uh, and improves our decision-making uh, one of the things uh, that we'll talk about in a few minutes is uh, the training that the firm has conducted over the last several months. And one of the the, the, the main takeaways uh, for me was that if we are not diverse and, and don't have diversity in our, uh, uh, our workforce and our colleagues, uh, we all just uh, tend to think in the same way. Uh, and the diversity of perspectives uh, really brings a richness to that decision-making uh, on a daily basis. So uh, certainly um, that's uh, another very important reason. More subtly, we have tended in the professions uh, to be leaders in society and in our respective communities. And I think, uh, generally speaking, the professions, whether it be uh, lawyers or doctors or, or uh, other uh, professionals, are looked to for leadership in areas such as diversity or historically with civil rights or LGBT. TQ rights. So in that way, we feel uh, as a member of that larger community, our law firm needs to uh, be taking that leadership role. Rich, does the firm have a diversity and inclusion philosophy at all? It does. It's certainly not going to be a surprising one. Uh, We strive to support diversity within the firm to be reflective of not only our clients, but also our communities and the organizations that we uh, we support and, and help serve. Um, we're committed uh, to pr- promoting an inclusive atmosphere, as well as recruiting and retaining talented, creative, and diverse individuals. Our efforts in that regard, we undertake to enable us to better serve and understand our clients, 
uh, as well as to continue to be a successful law firm now that we're in our second century of existence. Yeah, that's right. Can you give us, speaking of history and uh, what you might have done in the past, just a brief history of uh, Myra O'Connell's efforts with respect to diversity and inclusion? Certainly. So I would say uh, from a longer historical perspective, our efforts at diversity were informal and efforts at inclusion similarly informal. Uh, always felt that we had a very inclusive and supportive work environment but unfortunately had struggled with having the kind of diverse workforce that we hoped to. In 2017, we decided that it made a great deal of sense in terms of moving our diversity and inclusion efforts forward to take a more formal approach to to that uh, and uh, with strong support of our management committee we formed a, a, a task force uh, composed of several partners and several managers in the firm to really think about it uh, in, a, in an organized and, and systematic fashion uh, and to take a look ar- around, see what literature was out there, what uh, we could learn, and to set some basic goals in terms of leadership, uh, in terms of recruitment, in terms of retention and culture and professional development. On the leadership front, that task force felt that it uh, made a great deal of sense for the firm to then establish essentially a permanent uh, diversity and inclusion committee that would carry the specific work forward in that regard. And that committee, initial committee, was uh, formed uh, in December of 2017, inviting volunteers uh, across the firm, not only attorneys, but also everyone um, who uh, was part of our uh, our workforce uh, to, uh, to join us in the effort. As a result of that, we have a committee of, of 12 um, at the present time, three partners, um, three of our managers, our executive director, uh, four other attorneys, and two members of our uh, legal administrative assistant staff. Uh, and that committee has been uh, working hard uh, since December of uh, 2017 when it was formed. Uh, and I will say, as chair of the committee uh, since that time, uh, it is an extraordinarily uh, energetic uh, uh, and enthusiastic group uh, that is uh, uh, full of wonderful ideas, uh, as well as with a great willingness uh, to uh, put in the time and the effort uh, to make our uh, work successful. So what has this committee and the firm actually done in this area? What uh, kind of deliverables or things that it has taken action on? Sure. So as I'd mentioned, uh, where we started was what can we learn um, and and make ourselves uh, uh, more intelligent uh, with respect to diversity and inclusion. Uh, One of the uh, uh, things we uh, came across uh, was a publication by the Association of Legal Administrators, uh, which actually had uh, uh, produced a diversity and inclusion scorecard. Uh, so we thought, well, let's uh, let, let's, uh, and this was at the task force level, uh, let's take that and see where we stood. Uh, not surprisingly, we scored well in some areas, uh, not so well in others. 
and it's provided us kind of an interesting baseline to uh, to kind of look back at, uh, at periodically to see how we're doing. Having um, done that, it was very uh, obvious from uh, from the reading we were doing and the discussions that we were having that rather than just being an echo chamber for ourselves, uh, what we really needed to do was to 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 reach out and uh, get some expert help uh, with respect to this uh, this area. Um, so we uh, undertook a, 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 a an involved uh, search process uh, to try to identify uh, a consultant or consulting group uh, with uh, experience in the area who, who could assist us. That search process resulted in our selection of an excellent group, uh, Diversity at Workplace Consulting, uh, located in Cambridge, um, and we've worked with them pretty much uh, since uh, the summer of 2018. So that was the the beginning, uh, and uh, uh, we've, uh, as I mentioned, the the group that we're working with, Diversity at Workplace Consulting, uh, we've uh, developed strong relationships uh, with their principal, Sue John, um, and uh, uh, Gwendolyn McCoy and, and uh, Jen Coburn, uh, who've been instrumental in our efforts uh, in the firm uh, to carry that work forward. We're talking about diversity and inclusion generally in law firms and specifically at Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This is On Air with Myrick O'Connell. We're talking with Rich Van Nostren, who is a partner in the litigation unit of Myrick O'Connell and also the chair of the firm's Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Rich, what is the committee's roadmap toward uh, delivering on the goals? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned uh, before the uh, before the the, the break, uh, it was uh, we began working with uh, the consulting group, uh, Sue John and and uh, her group, and started uh, uh, with a half day strategy session, working with our committee, uh, looking at the barriers and challenges, uh, proven practices, and as you just mentioned, developing a roadmap um, for. Uh, the diversity and inclusion efforts of the firm, tutored by uh, uh, Sue and her and her group, uh, they essentially uh, suggested that our roadmap be uh, long enough uh, to be effective, but short enough to be achievable. Um, so essentially, their mantra to us was, "Think about a three-year roadmap um, initially." Um, one of their sayings is, uh, for each year, uh, you should focus on uh, one big thing and two small things. Um, being the group of uh, type A's that we are, uh, we ended up with, uh, I think, uh, two and three uh, of each for each of the years. But uh, uh, So we had put uh, the roadmap together um, just in, in uh, broad terms um, that consists of some process uh, things that we needed to uh, uh, to look at time frame being one of them as well as uh, approach of the committee uh, as well as the firm's uh, financial investment in the effort uh, and uh, being willing not only to invest our time but also uh, some of our financial resources in it and the roadmap we developed would say it has uh, five uh, different components to it, training being the first and most major thing that we tackled kind of out of the box. Um, second, our roadmap 
uh, has a focus on constant reinforcement uh, that I'll mention in more detail in a moment. Uh, we've also undertaken periodic lunch and learn programs. Um, the firm has always been very uh, active in the community, uh, whether it be in charitable or civic organizations or, like myself, very active in the local and statewide bar associations. Um, we've always had that long community involvement. And as part of our roadmap for the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, it was really to uh, take a look at that community involvement in an intentional way as to how uh, we could combine it with our diversity and inclusion efforts. Uh, and then finally, um, on our roadmap is uh, assistance uh, by uh, Sue, uh, John, and her uh, uh, her group in uh, with our recruiting processes, not only at the attorney level, but also at all levels uh, within the firm. I know there are some very specific examples of items on that roadmap that have been accomplished that are uh, nitty-gritty in the weeds and are actually getting to where you want to be. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, one of the, 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 the first things we, uh, first major things that we undertook was to, um, uh, to begin with uh, a, a pretty extensive training uh, in the firm, uh, again, assisted and, and presented by uh, Sue John and Diversity at Workplace Consulting. Our original intention was to, relative to the training, was to break it into two uh, important segments, um, which we, uh, in our own mind, were thinking of it in terms of training for uh, our leaders in the firm uh, and then firm-wide training. Relative to uh, training of our leaders, we defined leaders very broadly as being uh, anyone within the firm who had any supervisor responsibility, uh, but as, as, as we like to think of it, um, anyone who had the ability to impact the work environment of anyone else in the firm. Uh, as you might expect, that was a very large group of individuals, um, and um, can we did that leadership training in November and January, uh, splitting the group into two, and each session had about uh, uh, 40 uh, who were provided leadership training in three-hour segments. Um, so every pretty pretty much everyone, uh, and we 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 had one or two who unfortunately were unable to make either session, uh, but anyone with any supervisor responsibility from uh, our managing partner, Dave Sarpernot, throughout the firm to uh, non-lawyer managers uh, to an attorney who had a supervisory re uh, relationship with uh, with their legal administrative assistant. Every every single one of those individuals uh, took the, uh, the three-hour training, which focused on a variety of things from conscious and unconscious bias to prototyping and stereotyping uh, to uh, interviewing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, excellent training sessions. Uh, Sue and our group did a, a great job. Uh, the, the training was a nice mix of 
uh, both lectures, although I use that term loosely because it was more of a dialogue than a lecture, as well as some roundtable discussions uh, throughout the uh, three-hour training session. And very importantly, at the end of each of the sessions, the trainers asked each of us um, to express to the group uh, the commitment that they were willing to make and were going to make uh, in the diversity and inclusion uh, arena. No one recorded it. It was, uh, even though it was, uh, the commitments were expressed to the entire group, um, the thinking on the part of our trainers was, this is really a commitment that the individual is making to themselves uh, to uh, assist in the diversity inclusion efforts and uh, the engagement of uh, all of our uh, uh, all of our leaders was terrific. Unfortunately, the second uh, part of our training effort, uh, which were which was going to be firm wide training uh, this month in April, which was going to be a, a shorter session, but. Uh, uh, everyone was uh, across the firm was going to participate in. Uh, unfortunately, with uh, stay-at-home orders and the yeah. coronavirus situation, we unfortunately have had to postpone that. But we anticipate, uh, hopefully, uh, the situation permitting uh, will allow us to uh, to resume that in uh, in the fall uh, and to train uh, our entire entire workforce on many of the issues that were part of the the leadership training. So that was the biggie, uh, if you will, uh, so far. Sure. Uh, but we've done a number of other uh, less major, uh, but no less important um, things in the last uh, uh, years since we formed the committee. At the firm, we have an intranet, as I suspect uh, many uh, workplaces do. Um, Whenever any of our people uh, boot up their computer in the morning, our intranet pops up. Um, And four to six times a month, uh, we, as part of that intranet, uh, there will be some type of recognition of some um, diversity or inclusion-related thing that's happening. Obvious ones such as Black History Month or uh, Women's History Month, uh, but also some less recognizable aspects. Uh, For example, just a few days ago, even though virtually none of us are in the office, uh, all of us who are working remotely, uh, which is most of us, still have the ability to uh, to log in, uh, and that uh, uh, that intranet pops up uh, sure. just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. It was Celebrate Diversity Month, uh, so uh, so that popped up on everyone's screen. The idea being that we just want to have the intranet be a continuous reminder of the importance and and the significance that we think having an inclusive uh, work environment is. Um, So that uh, has been going on for a couple of years and will continue. Uh, One member of our committee every month takes responsibility for finding the things to post. And um, uh, as I mentioned, it's a very earnest and enthusiastic group, and uh, we certainly had no shortage of of posts. One of the other things we've done uh, that I touched on uh, briefly before was what we've uh, referred to as our Lunch and Learn programs. We we do those periodically, probably uh, once a quarter or a little bit less than that uh, through the summer. But what we've tried to do is uh, develop programs 
uh, as the name implies, uh, to do at lunchtime, uh, which has some um, diversity and inclusion component to it, but also has uh, some uh, local angle, some local tie. The first one we did uh, soon after the uh, uh, we got the committee up and running uh, was we broadcast a speech given by Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, at the at Temple Emanuel in Worcester in 1961 in our boardroom, uh, which seats about uh, uh, 40 or 50. Um, invited people uh, to, we brought lunch in, invited people to come in, have their lunch, uh, uh, sit in sit in the boardroom and listen uh, to uh, uh, Dr. King's remarks. Um, as I mentioned, remarks made locally and in advance uh, of uh, what is uh, probably his uh, most uh, noteworthy speech at, at the National Mall in Washington, the I Have a Dream speech. Uh, it was uh, fascinating to hear his remarks in Worcester predating that more nationally and internationally known speech, and you could hear um, in his speech that he was trying out some of the phrasing uh, that he then used at this, in the speech. And just having that local connection, I think, helped people to, to really make the connection to Dr. King's words. Yes. Um, yeah. we've, we've done a few others, uh, one uh, relative to uh, Abby Kelly Foster, uh, where we had a uh, performer, um, Lynn McKenney Lydic, uh, come in in period costume, um, vividly portrayed Abby Kelly Foster. She gave a performance again at lunch as uh, Abby Kelly Foster, who is an, an abolitionist and women's and human rights advocate hmm. uh, in uh, the mid-19th century mm-hmm. uh, and the sacrifices that she made to travel the country speaking uh, on those uh, those extraordinarily important issues, sure. um, and then most most recently, and again, a local connection um, to the Abby Kelly Foster of uh, the Charter School locally, um, as well as uh, most recently, we did a program on Major Taylor, who again, um, many people recognize the name uh, for some of the uh, the streets named after him, uh, but again, somewhat of an obscure historical figure fascinating program given by Lynn Tolman, uh, who works for the Telegram and Gazette and uh, is president of the Major Taylor Association uh, here in Worcester. Major Taylor was perhaps the greatest bicycle cyclist uh, of his time uh, at the turn of the century and early 1900s. Uh, And um, it's easy, um, given given the uh, plethora of major sports there are today, uh, to lose sight of the fact that professional cycling was probably uh, one of, if not the most important professional sporting events. Uh, and Major Taylor, who, uh, while uh, being born in Indianapolis, moved to Worcester uh, and was uh, truly a local hero, who ruled the professional cycling circuit here in the U.S. as well as uh, internationally. Again, an individual whose name I knew, uh, but uh, until we did the program uh, a month or so ago, never realized uh, what an amazing uh, figure he was. And I should have also mentioned African-American at a time when uh, certainly the racial climate um, 
in the United States uh, was not a good one. Uh, and here's someone who um, was able to survive and thrive even in that environment. So we've done a number of those, as I'd mentioned, uh, again, really to uh, give uh, our colleagues in the firm an opportunity to learn a little bit of uh, more about uh, a name that they no doubt have, uh, are familiar with uh, and very, very well received uh, each of those programs. So I'd focus on those. Uh, there are other things that we've been doing on the recruiting front in, in terms of uh, community, community involvement, uh, whether it be with the Nativity School or uh, assisting Girls, Inc. with uh, mock interviews or um, sponsoring the YWCA uh, Fight Against Racism breakfast. Um, but uh, it certainly, uh, I guess the best way I would describe it would be a broad-based effort uh, on the diversity and inclusion front. It seems like you've done a lot. How would you ultimately, to wrap up our podcast, how would you define success ultimately of this committee? Great question. As I mentioned before, we had used the ALA scorecard uh, to see what our baseline was back at the beginning. So we keep uh, um, refreshing that uh, to see if we're making progress on on some of those areas. Um, So that's one area. Frankly, that's a little little too uh, simple um, for what is an extraordinarily uh, important and uh, significant uh, effort. In part, it's hard to define success because there are so many dimensions of diversity um, and not just the ones that people normally think of, whether it be race or or gender or sexual orientation. As I'd mentioned in the beginning, what we're striving to achieve is that inclusive work environment um, and perpetuating what we've always had, but trying to keep improving on that and hopefully have a diverse, uh, a more diverse workforce that is reflective of the communities we've served. But in my mind, uh, the best measure of whether we've been successful, uh, and successful is a, is a journey, not a destination, um, right. is uh, the best way that I, I would envision uh, measuring it is prob- can probably only be done anecdotally. Uh, which is to have a, a, a candidate or an applicant um, to the firm say, I know that if I go there, I will be uh, accepted and respected and embraced and be comfortable in that working environment, regardless of how I may be different from the person sitting in the next uh, office or the person sitting at the next desk. And then uh, I guess the, the companion uh, to that is uh, after someone has been hired uh, as an attorney or a staff member, their experience matches that, that uh, they have, they get to the point uh, where they say, and I'm glad I'm here uh, because I've been accepted and um, uh, I've been respected and um, I've been provided a great opportunity and embraced uh, for uh, all of the reasons uh, I am who I am. Um, So very hard to measure something like that, um, but that is certainly what we strive for uh, in all of our efforts. There's a lot of work going on in this area, and it's very worthwhile, and it's 
as you mentioned, very significant. Today's guest on On Air with Myra O'Connell has been attorney and partner Rich Van Nostrand, who, in addition to being a partner in the litigation unit at the firm, is also the firm's chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, doing a lot of work in that area. Rich, I really appreciate you taking the time to appear with us today. How can folks contact you? The best way, uh, it would be uh, through our website, uh, given um, given the fact that uh, we're all at home these days. Right. Uh, fortunately, uh, we've been able to set up so that our, uh, our work lines uh, ring through to our cell phones at home. Uh, that number is 508-860-1453. Uh, or you can certainly email me uh, at uh, rvanostrand at myrickoconnell.com, which I unfortunately uh, uh, spell too many times during the day. Uh, but I would uh, encourage you to go to the website uh, rather than taking another five minutes to uh, go through all of those letters. Uh, in any event, Howard, uh, you're very welcome. Um, and uh, uh, I thank you very much for uh, having me. You can learn how Rich and his colleagues at Myrick O'Connell can assist you, as Rich was just mentioning, with your business and personal legal needs by visiting MyrickO'Connell.com, the website that Rich was just talking about. I'm Howard Kaplan. On behalf of Myrick O'Connell and attorney Rich Van Nostren, thanks for joining us. Take care. Stay well. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. 